Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Scottish Independence Podcasts. We're delighted to be joined by some guests who we'll introduce in just a minute to consider the subject of media politics and how do we get our message across in what is a hostile media environment to say the least. So we have three guests on the programme, haven't we? We have. Our first guests are Sylvia Wilmot and Jane Davidson. And um, I got into a chat with them on a Facebook page. It was a whole thread about how to get our message across. So I thought, these two are thinking about this. And, and we thought, well, let's invite them on and, um, and see if we can take it a bit further. So what you're going to see in here now is a bit of that conversation. The whole conversation is available on our Indie Extra YouTube channel. But for this edition, we've taken 10 minutes of our conversation. So here it is. I put up this um, uh, graphic that I'd put together myself from um, uh, figures that were on the website called uh, Talking Up Scotland, which is run by John Robertson. He or one of his helpers had put together new data from NHS England for waiting times. So you might think, well, for goodness sake, surely it's been possible to compare Scotland and England English um, NHS waiting times, but it hasn't been because of the way that they calculate things. So in Scotland, the, the length of time someone waits before either being sent home or sent up to a ward somewhere from a, an a and &E department is calculated from when they enter the a and &E department, which is what we mean, isn't it? That's what we kind of mean when we say, oh, I've been waiting four hours or, you know, you say, oh, I got out after an hour. But in England, they don't count it until there's been a decision to admit them. So they might have been waiting in the a &E for, you know, a few hours before that. So it's never been possible to make comparisons. But I think it's the College of Emergency Medicine. They've been nagging away at um, the Office of National Statistics to try and get these figures published because they were, they were there, but they were never made public. So that's a bit of a long story, but that was the background to it. And the three of us just got kind of chatting about how good it would be. I remember you, you two in particular were saying, how are we going to get this kind of information out wider, out to the public? So frustrating when you see all this stuff that's that's made. You know, people have got public platforms and they can spread all this garbage, and you can only counter it to whoever's in your circle. It's how to get it out into a wider. You know, they, these people have all got public platforms, and it's really, really weighted yeah. so heavily against personally. I'm going to get the salient points, things like the NHS, our GDP and where it comes from, and how the jars figures. That's wow. huge. I can't, be, I can't believe I'm still talking to people who don't know that our money all goes down to Westminster. There's a lot of ignorance. So I'm going to get it all into small, small cards. Yeah. Salient points. Sure they're all fact-checked. Make sure it's absolutely accurate, 100%. Yes. Put it in little cards. Plasticize it. Get a hundred or something like that printed off, two hundred, whatever, whatever, cost wise or whatever. And whoever I talk to, hand them the card. So it's not just my words going in one ear and out the other and they don't really take it in. But you give them the information, the written information, and maybe they'll pass it on. I say, we want to take a couple of spread give to your friends. I don't know. That that's what I was thinking. There's there's nothing yeah. much else to do, is there really, to get a public platform. Yeah, so it's certainly very difficult, isn't it? That's a really good idea. Have you had any thoughts about it, Sylvia? Yes, I've had many thoughts. I've got a field, um, which is actually my daughter's, but my garden is attached to it. And I've got a banner up, which is Believe in Scotland banner. Independence is normal. It doesn't really say anything for me. So I want to have a banner. I've asked um, somebody who does the graphics and... Uh, what I was going to put on it was the BBC and the media tell lies about Scotland constantly. Well, which I feel is true. So that's something, that's my next step. But I was talking, strangely enough, to a neighbour who happens to be a farmer who in the past would have voted Tory, but he's disgusted with the lies and the corruption. I was talking to him uh, and then I happened to mention I've been looking at PFI contracts that Labour put in place. Uh, and yeah. I'm, I'm appalled, um, and it is a—it's shocking. 
It's a scandal. That's a real scandal because billions are going out of Scotland for these contracts. They're running for more than 30 years, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And this is all stuff I've been gathering, information. Um, Dr. Megan Smith did a, an article about PFI contracts across the whole of the UK. And she's listed them all, and I went through them. Again, uh, the interest rate generally on them is at 7%. Wow. The interest rate yeah. has been zilch yeah. the last decade. Mm -hmm. The maintenance contracts are costing hugely more to do work than they would normally. It's really, it's it's just a license to to take Scotland's money to me. But, you know, people may think it's not relevant now because they were set up when um, Labour were in place. But it, it still is. And where is this money coming from? I know councils apparently are paying 40, 40 billion a year. Do hospitals come out of the NHS money? I mean, you'd think yeah. probably if it was hospitals, that's coming out of a whole local NHS budget somewhere. Yeah. They've got to be able to cover it, don't they? Yeah. This is what I wonder. Somebody put up this thing about Lord Jack McConnell on Facebook. It's saying, whilst he was in charge, he sent back $1.5 of accrued underspend mm -hmm. in Scotland. That's right, you did, mm -hmm. yeah. You kind of get to know, don't you, that some people are okay whatever you give them, but some people, if you're obviously very kind of, you know, one-sided, but if you give out something that's just straightforward factual and it's got, it's got somewhere to go and look up and check on it, yes, actually yes. that's a, a good way of um, proceeding, isn't it? Yes. So those wee cards that you're talking about, I think would be pretty good for that. The other thing I was thinking, actually, um, Sally, what you're saying about the, about the, the banner, I've got a, uh, a flag, but one of the two Davies keeps saying, we're going to do it anyway. And I think that's quite a powerful statement. I mean, put that in a flag. Mm -hmm. so, no, yes, we're going to do it anyway. It's quite a positive one. Agree with it or not agree with it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the thing is, things are changing so quickly. You know, you really, I feel need to be constantly changing, as you say, and keeping up with what's happening to make yeah. it a kind of a statement against what's being said on the news. Yeah, that, That's kind of the problem as well. Timing's difficult, isn't it? Because something will flash up. And if you've then got to go and research and come up with something and draft it, the moment's gone. That's just um, take me back again to, you know, John Robertson's talking up Scotland. And I mean, he's just prolific. I'm on the um, email list. I mean, there can be several in a day and each of them will have, you know, two or three sort of new new examples. And he's very, very good at coming up with the factual stuff and where he's got it and, and what it means. And I, I mean, after, you know, chatting to both of you on um, on Facebook that, uh, that day, it did get me thinking again about all the effort that he puts into that. I mean, he's got a lot of people in the mailing list, but I'm not sure it gets much further out. And you do have to put a little bit of effort in with that graph that I did the, the, with the comparisons with the A&E times, I mean, I did that, but I used it, I got it from using the figures on his, his on his blog. I just thought maybe if I was doing something, if I was going to do something like that, I'd probably go to John's website and just pick out, you know, pick out stuff and, mm -hmm. and, and just try and get it a bit, a bit uh, further, you know, available because you know it's like you're saying jane you know you give someone a one of those cards once you get them done and then they pass them on to their neighbor you know even if it's just oh i met this woman and look what she gave me kind of stuff <laughs> we're used to that right we've all been installed but actually it can still have an effect you know it has a kind of um outward ripple and this is why i thought it would be good to um well, I talked to this neighbour because, and why I mentioned the PFI contracts, and he actually admitted himself. He said, I, oh, they're siphoning money out of Scotland because they're saying that people are turning away from the Tories towards the Labour, those who don't want independence. Yeah. I feel at the moment, it's all, that's why that's so important to bring that back into the yeah. news again. Yeah. And it might, it might be an idea to maybe emphasise Labour. And maybe we can say, look, this is really what you're going to be voting for if you vote for mm. Labour. Yes. I don't know enough about the Labour. I must admit I haven't done enough research about, about the Labour and what they stand for and what they're going to do. But if I listen to Starmer and I think, good God, you know, when we will not be joining the EU. The, the Scottish, you know, you will not get a referendum. You know, and you, you look at them and think, what? excuse me, you know, 
you're supposed to be the left leaning party. Thinking about Labour coming in, I mean, at least in, you know, at Holyrood, at any rate, Labour have been so, it's such a long time since anyone's been in power except the SNP mm. that it actually you can kind of understand, unless you've got, unless you're old enough to have a very long memory, you know, you can understand how people just don't know. They don't, it's not even that they don't remember what yeah. Labour was like in Holyrood. They actually they don't, don't know, know because they don't weren't know. alive or, you know, they weren't of an age where they paid any attention to yeah. it, really. So that's, that's a, a good point. It's just another reason why we need out of the union, isn't it? Oh, 100%. And things that the thing that gets me is all the people that will say, oh, I can't stand the SNP. What have they ever done for, well, what have they ever done for Scotland? And they say, oh, come on, come on, come on. I mean, we're going to go there. That's just too ridiculous. When you're talking about little cards, do you know the number of people who don't appreciate the things that are free in Scotland aren't free in the rest of the UK? Um, I mean, my, my mother lives in England and She's constantly surprised, outraged, actually, at the thing that we get because that's what we as a society have chosen to do. You know, free education and free prescriptions and all that kind of stuff. Free bus travel. We're, we've probably all got magic bus passes. You know, she's not got that. You know, of course we pay for it. It's just that the choice is yeah. different, you know? Yeah. Saying, you know, Fiona, as you are saying, people don't even understand, up here don't necessarily kind of realise that that's been brought in by the Scottish government and isn't yeah. available down south. And you get the other side of that, which is the unionist argument that says, oh, and, and, and look, English taxpayers are having to pay for Scottish free bus passes and free prescriptions yes, and, and elderly care, and we're all paying for that. And you're going, hang on a minute. Do you think we don't pay any taxes? This is horrifying to know how many people actually do think like that. Yes. You know, you have casual conversations with people, which I tend to do. Oh, so here she comes. <laughs> the demand, the, 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 don't know the internal market bill is going to level us all out, and they're not going to level up, up to us. They will level us down to them. So be careful what you vote for. Don't, young mothers of children that well, you're going to lose your 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 baby boxes or grandchildren. They're fantastic. They are fantastic. Yeah. My daughter always yeah. says, "God, she says for a new mother, Labour would bring in um, charges for university because they did. They were the ones who yeah, started yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you find ways of getting out that? Is it face to face? Is that the best way? I mean, your cards and your your posters are both great ideas. If you can get, then maybe get a conversation off the back of them. I, could, I think they could be great conversation starters, yeah. but yeah. how else do you manage to, to do it? For me, it's about getting people to think, um, making them question, oh, the BBC and the media tell lies. It's like, oh, just to raise that in that, in that train of thought. Uh, and I think the cards, you know, bullet points, it, it makes people think. I think another thing that we really need to get our heads around is, and I think this is so powerful, if every yes voter convert one no voter, one no to yes, and we that's it done. That's definitely yeah. doable. That's yeah. what got me round um, was Brexit, and it highlighted yeah. how much they lie. And then, of course, the ongoing corruption since then, which they make no attempt to hide. And that that's why I think for me talking to this farmer neighbour because he has brothers in the area and family, and they they definitely were staunch Tory voters, but I can't see him ever voting Tory again, mm. and I don't want him voting Labour. <laughs> so that was an interesting chat, wasn't it? And it, it was only 10 minutes of a much longer conversation, so if you were enjoying listening to, to Jane and Sylvia there, hop on to our IndiePod Extra YouTube channel and you'll get the whole thing. So in that conversation, Marlene, I think you mentioned that we use material from John Robertson's website and he's got a, a blog called Talking Up Scotland. Yeah, that's right. Talking Up Scotland website. So sometimes what I do is I, I, I get uh, email reminders of his posts and, and there are several a day. I mean, it's a phenomenal amount of information that, that he puts out there. So sometimes what I do is I take the basic facts that he's drawing attention to and I, I make some graphs and put them on our website. But we also thought, well, there's someone else who's trying to get the message across. And he's been doing it since 2013. So John has a lot of experience, both good and bad, of, of trying to do that. So we, we invited him on. Yeah, and... He did have a lot of 
really interesting stuff to share with us. So here he is. I mean, yeah. I have to admit, I mean, it's been it's been ten years, and you know, posting. I, I, it's the blog that never sleeps. I post nearly every day of the week, and I tend to be. I'm a bit like I often compare myself to someone who's standing in front of one of those tennis serving machines, mm. you know, and the, the balls are coming at me along the lines of what reporting Scotland said. What whack? I send a response, but usually quite short. I, I don't like I don't write professorial pieces anymore. One or two of my contributors tend to write longer pieces than I do. My view is just get a quick answer in. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter as well is it lends itself obviously to the short, sharp. But it almost if you don't get it in then and there, the moment's passed, doesn't it? it speed is essential. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of what you're looking for, you know, in terms of principles, that's yeah. that's clearly it. You know. And then quickly on to the next thing, I must say, I've started doing that in the Facebook groups. Actually, there's so much. There's so much negativity in them. Anyway, we're maybe maybe we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. We just so, leapt in there. <laughs> just in there. Yeah. But thanks so much for 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 coming and having a chat. I mean, I've been following your blog for for years and years now. And then occasionally, I'll I'm quite a fan of spreadsheets. So occasionally, I'll go and 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 get more of the details and 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 make a what I'm hoping is a helpful graph about it. I think I'm right in saying that it's back in 2013, wasn't it? But you authored a a report about was there fairness in the way it was yeah, being reported yeah, to which to which year. that's right fairness in the first year so to to which your answer was um no there isn't there was definitely bias towards being coming down more on the side of the no campaign and as i remember that got you well about to say a bit of flack but maybe it was a bit more than that you certainly got um the bbc down and well the um their, their pr man in his attack on on my research he copied in the principal of the university and said that I had brought the, the university, UWS and, and the BBC into disrepute. And uh, so, I mean, I think there was an implication there that they, they hoped I would be sanctioned in some way. I was a, a little nervous for a week or two until it became clear that my, my new principal just arrived from Tasmania via Northumbria. His view was a low-status university like UWS any news is good news. Presumably, you know, you had confidence in your own methodology that that you'd used. I did. Although to be to be fair, I mean, I you know, the, the BBC had just appointed a, um, a group of graduates with a, with a, a view to improving their coverage of the devolution process, you know, and, a, and of the referendum coming up. Some of them are now your frontline presenters. About ten undergraduates, and I gather they set them on my research to find anything they could, and they did find errors. I mean, I, you know, all, all research is little errors of it. I mean, errors of, you know, the, the wrong date or the wrong yeah, person yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And they found those sort of errors. And, and the implications were there for the whole thing was unreliable, which is it wasn't true. Being a bit of a new star for me, I mean, I, I've, I've had a long-term kind of um, fondness for the, you know, for the independence movement. But um, as, as a young man, I was much more interested in kind of anti-imperialist thinking. You know, I went to Stirling University in the 70s, did sociology. So you can imagine where my, my brain went at that point. And uh, and the research that the university encouraged me to do was not about Scotland because, quite frankly, they thought that was, you know, low-status work. And they encouraged me to do research into the, you know, the Western media's coverage of the Arab world and so on, mm-hmm. or, or Western media's coverage of the economy, the global economy. So that's what I did. And it was only in 2013, as, as retirement loomed, I thought, well, what will I do next? And I was looking around and I was thinking, well, this is the big news at the moment, what's happening with the referendum coming up. I thought I'd do something about it. And up to that point, you know, anything I'd published was lucky to get 100 readers, you know, in peer-reviewed journals. And then I wrote did this, I did that kind of preliminary survey. I initially sent it to um, Scottish Affairs, edited then by Lindsay Patterson, mm-hmm. who, who will say that point. And he had, said, he had said they would publish it after the referendum. That was a point at which I gave up on the whole game of peer-reviewed research and sent it to Newsnet, and they got 100,000 viewers in a week. Yeah. Wow. And it was just astonishing, um, the, the, the interest in that. Yeah, yeah so that, that was the kind of history of it. And, that's, and ever since then, it's been a 10-year grudge, me and the BBC. <laughs> and, I mean, they, they're only getting worse, though, aren't they? I mean, how my perception of the, the way they reported back in 2014 okay, yes, there was a, a bias towards the status quo and everything else was seen as the wrong answer. But the, I felt there was a kind of amused interest from a distance 
in it. Whereas now it's just vicious. It's just, I mean, Marlene, you had an example that you were showing me earlier of a piece of information out of context. And I mean, this is just shocking standards of reporting, I think, as a non-professional. Was, was that the one about the road deaths? Yes. This is from your blog, um, oh. John. You were just pointing out um, that BBC Scotland's headline was Deaths on Roads Highest Since 2016, which technically it looks like it is the highest since 2016, but when you don't get the context of that whole you know, profile, it's... Um, it's more than misinformation, really, isn't it? It's just dishonest. I was looking in the uh, in the Guardian this morning, and they had an article in it about Mark Drakeford, who normally we quite like, Mark Drakeford, the Welsh mm -hmm. FM, and he was talking about if we don't change the way the UK is the relationship with the different bits, it's going to fall apart. Which again, we agree with. And it was quoting this effort that he and Gordon Brown were going to have. And there was this, the future of these islands, you know, some think tank that Gordon Brown set up. Yeah. And the whole article was from the perspective of the union is right. Here's a threat to the union. Here's guys who are going to fight it. Here's a unionist think tank. Here's two unionist politicians to discuss it. And they're discussing, you know, the, the threat of what's happening in Scotland and the danger of what could be happening in Wales. And again, no attempt at any kind of balance that these might be valid perspectives from Scotland or from Wales. Their paradigm just cannot conceive that that might be a reasonable outcome. Two things I would say about that. You, you, you make a very good connection with Wales there, obviously, but also the business of, of balance and, and uh, you know, and, and use, the use of sources. About Wales, one of the things is that one of the, the most objective ways of demonstrating the bias in BBC Scotland is to look at the BBC and in the rest of the UK, including especially Wales, and look at the way they cover, the way they, the way they tend not to politicise. You know, in reporting something that's bad news for Wales, you hardly ever hear in the same report mention of the Welsh Government. Mm -hmm. Anything bad in Scotland, it's almost always the case that you hear. Yeah. Even if it's just at the end of it, the Scottish government has said they won't they won't always be attacking the Scottish government directly, specifically, but by mentioning the Scottish government at some point in the report, they make a link in the, the in the audience's mind. The other point of that um, is that the business of of balance of using sources and so on. I've drawn attention to this a lot of time in, in the blog, and I sometimes do in a, a kind of mock teacherly manner, where I'll, I'll mark a piece of work by the, the BBC. <laughs> because it, although my my main background is actually in teacher education. Where I moved into the media area, I did do some work with undergraduate journalism students, yeah. and undergraduate journalism students have higher expectations than the BBC seem to have of their journalists. Mm -hmm. a, an, an undergraduate, first-year undergraduate journalism student would fail if they only used one source. They would fail if they used unreliable sources. They would fail if they only used one person as a source. They would they would fail if they didn't provide that kind of context. And if they were making a claim about something happening widely across the country and they didn't use statistics, they would fail. One of the things that I I always really appreciate about, you know, about about your blog. I mean, maybe you, you, you could tell us a bit about how that how the blog arose as well, because it's been through it's been through various um well it had various names, hasn't it? Mutations, but yeah. um but uh one of what I really appreciate about it is Often what you're doing is just pretty straightforward. You're just putting something into context. So that example with the road deaths is a, you know, that's yeah. a good example. I found another one. I think actually this might even have been today. Starmer is up in Rutherglen campaigning. It was you know, today, for, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was today. So you know, Margaret Ferrier. Now, oh, Margaret Ferrier, of course, made a huge mistake doing what she did, travelling while she had COVID. Anyway, th this by-election is going to happen, and he's up there, and he, he said Margaret Ferrier was um, missing in action as a That's as an it, MP. Yeah, yeah. I'm missing in action as an MP, and I just, I kind of went and looked at what, you know, had a look at what you did. So you obviously went on to Hansard, and Hansard is great, actually, if you want to get statistics out of I have to be honest here, I actually, I just saw somebody else had tweeted that. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Great, okay, good. <laughs> So every one of these, um, every one of these entries is when Margaret Ferrier has made some contribution or other to what's to, to what's been happening at Westminster, and it's over the last year. So, so this is the MP who's apparently missing in action, and then uh, and then there's the comparison with a certain mm -hmm. Ian Murray, 
yeah, Labour yeah. MP, and I, I counted those up. It comes to 16 um, contributions over the last year compared to Margaret Ferrier's mm-hmm. over 150. That's one reason why I just really appreciate the blog, whether you're retweeting someone else's or whether coming up with that information yourself. You basically, you put things into into context. So Yeah, that was only only minutes work. Only, I, mean, I think that must have taken me 15 minutes to do. And it's because when you're in the centre of a kind of swirl of of social media, I keep seeing things, and I think I'll use that. And you know, if it's something I can credit, I will credit. But that was yes. the answer. So, so when did the blog itself start up? It would be very early in two thousand and fourteen. I think maybe January two thousand and fourteen. Yeah. So it's pushing ten years. It was because I mean, I you know, I'm I'm seventy two coming up, um, and I, working working in the school of media, I'd, I transferred from the school of education to school of media in my fifties. So I was getting a bit past my sell by date for education and the School of Media wanted someone who could teach research methods to their, their students and I ended up then doing research and, and the, the, the young people in the School of Media, because they're all very, lots of trendy young people in the School of Media, were kind of pushing me to get up to date with things, you know, encouraging me to, and encouraged me to get on, they had to encourage me to get on Facebook, never mind Twitter, <laughs> and, then Twitter and, and to set up a blog and they showed me how to set up a blog. And initially, it was called Thought Control Scotland. I remember, yeah. <laughs> I will defend that. I will defend that. I, my my PhD, which I did at the age of sixty one, was was about um, the work of Noam Chomsky, and it's based on Noam Chomsky's theory, which is the propaganda model, which is basically that that rather obviously the media serve the interests of the powerful, and uh, and I, I applied that. I'd, I'd done research publications before, and I applied his theory. And I got the piece based. Now, Chomsky has a book called Thought Control in Democracies, in which he points out that in, in say, a, a, a dictatorial system like, like Soviet Russia or Nazi Germany, everyone knows that it's propaganda. They all know it's biased. They're never in any doubt that they're being lied to. But in democracies, there's a myth that somehow the media are free and they, they, and they tell you the truth. So yeah. that's why I called it that. But several people told me, that they, they were embarrassed by the title Thought Controls. This is people that followed the blog and liked it, but they said they wouldn't share my articles with other people because the URL said Thought Control Scotland. Yeah. They thought that was a bit paranoid. Yeah. Good I, I kind of get, yeah, I kind of yeah. get well. That's but why so, it became Talking Up Scotland. It's thought, it became Talking Up Scotland, and, you know, it kind of syncs with what got Fiona and I thinking about doing this particular uh, edition on uh, for maybe Zai. Another thing that started it off was I got into a conversation on on uh, just on Facebook. It's a it's a pro indie group. Of late, there's just been such a lot of negative posting going on, and it's it's got several thousand members in the group, but probably only a few dozen people who post lot a lot. And yes, yeah. a, and of that small number of people, a fairly high proportion at least at the moment, are, are posting quite negative stuff about the SNP, about Scottish government. Now, fair enough, you know, there's there's a whole load of things going on uh, that are, you know, has overtaken the SNP recently. So I'm, I'm not for a minute saying that shouldn't be discussed, but there's something about the, the tone of it that was just kind of like acid somehow, you know, something that eats right. away at people. Anyway, the, the two the two women I got chatting to just on Facebook, they were saying how much they it was almost at being distressed by it and, and thinking about not about leaving the group. So we had them on here and, and um, did a, a little chat with them just about that and just about it's bad enough trying to counter all the, the you know, the bias that's there in the mainstream media. Um, and then when we start kind of, eating away ourselves within the yes movement. That's another kind of problem that's maybe more of late, maybe I think the last year or so, that's kind of uh, come a bit more. So it's the same in research. You know, people, there's a myth amongst researchers, at least there was in the past, a myth that you, you, know, you, you can be entirely kind of honest and objective and so on. And you know, we, we, bring, we bring so many values and preconceptions to our professional roles that the, the idea of, of, of that kind of... Um, Objectivity is, is just stupid. So there, there's a there's a bit of a movement amongst uh, I suppose the leftist um, researchers in higher education, which is about surfacing the researcher. And that's where at the beginning of a piece of research you would actually indulge in a short piece of autobiography and a, an admission, an admission yeah. of who you are and where you come from, and then you present the research, and the people who read it you treat them like adults by doing so, and they and they think let them yeah. think. 
what they that, think. That is, that is such yeah. a better approach. I, mean, I, I was just thinking in terms of think tanks that we were talking about earlier. People quote think tanks all the time, but they you only have to look below the surface of a couple of them to see that they can be a very, very murky or very, very polarised origins. Who's who's um, funding them? Where is it coming from? And almost I wonder if the an extension of what you're saying about government funding, it's almost starting to appear already with things like bylines, you know, citizen journalism, and to an yeah. extent, most of the Yes movement. Imagine what would the Indian media could do with even a a modest grant that would set people up to actually be employed in it as opposed to doing it in their spare yeah. time. That model of, yeah, applying for funding in the same way that, you know, various arts groups do. I've heard Leslie Ruddock talk about how something, it's not quite, maybe quite like that, but it's something similar in Norway where yeah. local local newspapers, small local newspapers get a lot of funding and mm-hmm. they end up with a healthy Media, you know, I'm sure there are, I'm sure around Oslo and another, I'm sure there's also national kind of um, newspapers mm. and media there as well, obviously, but they have a, a quite widespread, a sort of yeah. um, a media that comes from the grassroots up and, and it's there because it's encouraged by by, mm. by the Norwegian government. They're also not owned by the country next door or further afield, are they? Uh, Norway is. Of course, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yesterday, I was in Edinburgh, and I walked from Waverley Station up along Newington Road, and I was trying to pick up a national on the way, Sunday National, and I had to go to six shops before I found one that stopped it. So every single one before then, all the only perspective on view is a, a unionist perspective from the country next door. There was nothing else to choose from. And it seems to me that is our basic problem is just visibility. And especially if the latest poll of 53% for Indy, more than half of us, we're being force fed the opposite of what we actually want to know about. It's a ridiculous business yeah. model apart from anything else, but it, it's just so hard for us to get beyond that. Well, it is a ridiculous mm-hmm. business model, isn't it? And I mean, yeah, that's, that's probably showing in, in the fact that the readership numbers are diminishing all, all the time. Mm-hmm. And I suppose you could kind of put a positive twist on it and say, well, if we can manage to get to 53% when that is the case. I mean, I was in I was in a post office today posting, you know, I was posting a parcel and I did have a glance at the newspapers. Well, the National wasn't even there. But, you know, maybe it's imagine what 53% might grow to if there was a decently representative yeah. of, um, you know, of our, our kind of way of thinking. But if you're just going about your daily life, and you're not particularly thinking politically, you're wondering what you're having for tea or whatever. Subliminally, that's the view that is on display. So even if you thought, well, actually, maybe I lean towards yes, looking around you, you would think you were in a minority of one. And I don't know with a blog, I mean, how do you actually grow your your blog? Is there something that you found successful in terms of getting visibility? Um, I think it's that business of being quick. With with something that's a surprise, I mean that's that's classic newspaper stuff, isn't it? I suppose some oh, something right. that's just in that's just in and seems kind of important in some way. That's it's about something that resonates with people in terms of you know things that matter to them in terms of their lives, and I I don't have much control over that because I'm as I said I'm pretty much I'm on the defence most of the time. I'm just if the stuff's coming in and I'm just without really thinking about it, no strategy, no prioritising, I'm just batting it back. That's how yeah. I like, and I, I leave it to other people to construct strategies out of that. Um, yeah. The business of the the newspapers, I, I think maybe that's a lost hope, um, and, and and it's maybe not a huge worry because, as we know, they're they're going down the yeah. tube, you know, fairly fast in some cases. Social media, I think, um, you know, is is the place in which um, the independence movement has its strength and will continue. Yeah. But there's there's one other issue, and that's one of I've, I've I've been at this a few times over the the last few years as well. In 2014, uh, STV were clearly not as imbalanced as, as BBC One were at six o'clock, six o'clock and six thirty. And I've recently looked at, I've done comparisons at times over the last few years, and and I'm not doing a comparison at the moment, but I, I do watch them both. And while STV will often jump in with the same ill-informed rubbish on on the health service and on the ferries and so on. There are times when a story is reported a bit differently from 
you know, reporting Scotland compared with STV News, in which and I think there's some scope. And you mentioned earlier about the business model, and I guess that's what is the case with STV. STV is not a state broadcaster, they're a business. They want to make a profit. They must know, they must know at least half their audience is pro-independence. It's bound to be influencing them. Whether it's influencing them in some kind of clear strategy to exploit that uh, that balanced audience they have, or whether it's something, and I, I'm much more of a believer in these kind of uh, deeper semi-conscious cultural shifts than I am in, in conspiracies. And uh, so maybe something is, has been happening with STV. And I, I think they... You know, at times they, they push the 50-50 yeah. um, in terms of balance. Are they completely independent from ITV? Are they a standalone business? And, well, I, I, I suspect they're not, but I think at editorial level they've probably yeah. got quite a lot of independence. I don't yeah. think they're motivated by any kind of ideology at all. I think they're a classic, you know, classic uh, free market <laughs> entrepreneurs yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. What will people watch? And they have a bigger audience than Reporting Scotland do. Not yeah. much, but they have a bigger audience Reporting Scotland. That's part to do with the, the, the nature of the presenters as well. We're much more kind of affable and jokey. Yeah. I think that we're, yeah. we're more likeable uh, yeah. to the general public than the, the Reporting Scotland come, come across a bit po-faced and huffy even at times. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think there's maybe some maybe some hope some with hope. over the next few years. I think that's interesting. I'd be happy to leave it to to market forces, you know, in the in the way you've been you've been saying, if that's what's influenced, if that's kind of what's underneath some of um, some of STV's choices, because then it's up to us then to make to make really good arguments and to make them in ways that are you know attractive and you know yeah. someone you know an editor, a commission an editor or you know just whoever will think oh that was good, let's get them on. I mean, I I I would kind of go along with that. Really, yeah. um, certainly better, better than you yeah. know the national broadcaster. Yeah, this is a bit maybe a bit tangential as well. It's kind of related to that, but uh, there's a business here. I think of the BBC is clearly allied to the the, the unionist uh, model. It has to be. I mean, it's the British Broadcasting Corporation. Their jobs, their jobs are at risk if we go well, into it. Is that the BBC from the time of Tony Blair is is aligned with the right wing of the Labour Party. They're not explicitly aligned with them, but they like where yeah. the right wing of the Labour Party stands because there's a pretense, there's a pretense of caring about poverty and inequality and so on, while at the same time still preserving the privileges of the bourgeoisie, still being able to send your kids to the best school, being able, and of course they're all Europhiles. So the, the BBC, although they have, they're scared about this and they have to be quiet about it, the BBC's establishment, the, the top professionals in the BBC, loathe the right wing of the Conservative Party. Understandably, they fear and loathe it, because as you affected there, the, the, the right wing of the Tory party would destroy them, because they think they're lefties. Yes. Um, there's, there's, there's maybe something important in there in terms of our, our, our attack. You know, it, it's, it's so easy to attack the Tories. So easy to, I mean, they're stupid and, and mad ideas, you know, they just, yeah. easy to attack, but they're not the danger. It's the, mm-hmm. the, the centre right wing of the Labour Party, which is the danger to the independence movement. They're far stronger once they get in the power, and they will they will seduce some of our support unfortunately. Yeah, who yeah, will have that's... to keep going for them, I think. Keep exposing yeah. them. When you look at Starmer, almost at the moment, who seems to be quite right of centre to me, and also yeah. Sir is obviously part of the establishment in in that way. The more I hear from him, the more I feel distanced from anything that he might stand for. And I think it was John Curtis said that if you take Labour Party members or voters and SNP, the thing we've got in common is we tend to share the same values. The difference is that the question of what's the best way of getting there, is it independence or is it not? Whereas Starmer, I just don't feel any kind of kinship with at all. His values to me are clearly in what I would call, have once called the Tory camp, but now, of course, they're so much further to the right, he's still able to call himself Labour whilst being quite Tory. That's where the real danger lies. And you look at Starmer and you think, really, is he that much of a danger? Oh, I think that's true. I, I, I hadn't had that thought myself, John, but when you said it, I, that's more of a danger to us than the Tories. I, I'll just go away now while we think about it, but I, I, my, my gut reaction to that was, 
Yes, that's right. Because because that's what can um, entice. That's the kind of part of the political spectrum that can entice people back to Labour. I don't think there was any other way to do it about it. It isn't really good to have one party in power for such a long time as the SNB have been in power. It'd be much better if there was an alternative. Let them sit, go at the back, sit and work out how 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 they want to, um, you know, organise themselves. There are people now who've got a vote and who have had a vote for a long time, and they don't know anything other than having had an SNP in Holyrood. And you know that means that they've forgotten, or they never knew. And then other people did know, but have since forgotten what it was like having, you know, Labour Lib Dem coalitions in in Holyrood. And I, I, I think you're onto something there, actually. I think that's the kind of um, just a bit of a slope that people can find themselves um, walking along, thinking, oh well, we could do that. And and at the same time, you know, if you have been in power for what 17 years, you'll have made mistakes. And when you've got a media who keeps pointing out those mistakes incessantly yeah. and exaggerating them, I think there's something to to uh, to ponder about on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find it easy at times because because the you know the, the, the Tories keep saying these appalling things and telling these terrible lies. I mean, so I do I do get drawn into that in the blog, into rebutting them. But there are times when I think, I'm wasting my time here because the Tory voters are never, never coming our way. Never coming our way, but a significant proportion of Labour voters could come our way. Yeah. So we need to yeah. constantly point, you know, maybe do it in a constructive way. The, the, the other issue as well is humour. I try at times to be jokey about it on the assumption that, that there is some research, I'm sure, amongst psychologists that one of the ways to weaken a rigid, uh, a rigid kind of psychological position yeah. is is to try and draw it into humour, yeah. because humour softens the whole thing. I, I was reminded of a I read a, a biography of uh, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was a very tall man, and he wore a stovepipe hat. Yeah, he did it on purpose. I gathered that when he when he when he would when they would have meetings, so he'd arrive he'd arrive in the silly hat, and then sit down and have meetings. And he he did he did self-deprecating humour a lot, and he he found he found that that actually um, reduced opposition. People actually stopped him, and were more yeah. likely to agree to what yeah. he wanted to do. It was, yeah. it was a control strategy. It was a cynical control strategy. He knew what he was doing. I gather the same thing happens with chimpanzees as well. Not that chimpanzees are not are not the strong bullies, but the ones who charm pals. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was somebody once told me, if you look at three people who have done exactly that, they're they're messy blondes. They come across as harmless and funny. They make weird noises. The three of them was Johnson, Trump, and Jimmy Savile. Oh. Three of them, you know, and you know, again, think of the damage that all three of them have done, and think of how they were able to do it, it was by letting people think that they were clowns and they were interesting and they were just we didn't know how to react to them because they were making these strange noises and doing these outlandish things and all the time behind them there's an evil purpose and they know exactly what they're doing yeah and sometimes i think it's just the way people are and it's and it's just it's just a kind of pattern of behavior they've learned from child but yeah. sometimes it's a strategy and i think with those three you're yeah. right yeah. Strategy. you mentioned noam chomsky if he was advising us the indie movement what would he advise us to do? Do you think what what would be the the approach that he would suggest to us? Um, my my daughter bought me a t shirt which says, "What would no one do?" <laughs> oh well, there you go. That's exactly the question. What would he do? He's he's in his nineties now and still still active, still on his yeah. feet, still going. Yeah. Um, I I don't have heroes. You know, Bob Dylan told me not to have any heroes way back, and I don't really have any heroes. But if I if I do have anything like a hero, it's Noam Chomsky. I think. He's a he's a, a public intellectual. He's he's the opposite of an ivory tower professor. He's he's someone who actually you know puts it on the line and and has the courage to stand up for what he believes. And so I, um, I think I'm he's he's my only hero perhaps. What would he say? Um, he, Noam Chomsky initially wasn't um, he didn't really understand what Scottish independence was about. And I I say this I had I had an email exchange with him. I should have kept. I wish I'd kept the emails now because you know, such is his fame. I should have kept those emails, <laughs> them out. But I haven't got them anymore since I retired. I can't can't find the emails. In the emails, I I emailed him because he'd been interviewed somewhere, new statesman or whatever, and he expressed reservations about Scottish independence because he was wary of of nationalism. 
and you know he's he has good reason to be wary of other kinds of nationalism yeah. you see in other parts of the world you know the 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 known kind of civic nationalism that you find elsewhere the ethnic kind and so i i emailed him and politely i told him a few things i said that you know the yes movement in scotland was very inclusive and it was also broadly kind of anti-imperialist you could argue it wasn't about scots being better than everybody else it was about us being as good as anyone else and being entitled to you know the, the autonomy and he he, I wish I'd kept the emails. He agreed with me. And mm. then later on, I saw an interview with him where he, he kind of said what he and I had exchanged. And I, I felt really quite proud of that. Um, oh, yeah. But um, so I think what, what would he say about what we, we should do here? Um, well, he, he's a, a major critic, of course, of, of the corporate media rather than the state, because there is no really powerful state media in the US. The corporate media do the job for them, really, in terms of maintaining the, the status quo. Um, I think he would he would probably agree with what we're doing at the moment. You just keep on going at it. You know, it's like water and stone, you know, the Amnesty International kind of view. Eventually, mm-hmm. eventually we'll down. And well, there are many I know in the independence movement just now who are a bit demoralised with recent developments. And there's people saying, oh, it's not going to happen in my lifetime and stuff like this. And people being quite negative. But it is quite a short time. If you look at the historical perspective, look at independence movements in the past, look at the other historical movements in the past, it's not been very long. We've been up and down. We'll be up again. And, you know, I, I don't have any doubt. I mean, I do wonder about it in my lifetime, but I, I, I think it, you know, it's going to happen. And I think the only way to, for it to happen is for us to just keep going, yeah. wearing, away, wearing away at the, you know, that hard rock of, of resistance with what seem at times like ineffective contributions yeah. on a daily basis. You think, what good is this doing? I think over the longer period, I think it will. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I think you. I think that's that must be right. I mean, when we were at, um, or rather, I, I and a few other people were in Kilmarnock on Saturday, and that was a little local, very little, maybe about I don't know, fifty people or so had gathered in Kilmarnock town centre, and they had some stalls, they had some speeches, they had some music, they had a raffle, they had face painting. We were there with the the yes slates. I don't know if you you've seen those and the yes stones. And I thought, you know, for all the the majesty of a an all under one banner march sweeping through Glasgow with a hundred thousand people, I mean that's a, a sight to behold. But I bet there are more people in Kilmarnock Town Centre who would have noticed a whole load of happy people with flags right in the middle of their town centre. And that was just two hours organised locally. So you know they they would be coming up and they were you know, taking yes stones and asking questions and what have you. It was all very good natured. And I thought if you had that replicated in all the little towns, even, you know, I live in a tiny town. If you did something here, it more people would see that than are ever going to watch the Glasgow March. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. and which is, is one way of saying, I think you're probably right with your drip, drip, drip and the, the little things, the thousand moments of truth. Yeah, I, I, think, yeah. I think you're right. I think those events like that can change people's minds because yeah. it's not confrontational. You're basically no. just offering an alternative. You're offering an alternative model, and it's a model that people can see as a, as a positive, forward-looking, and yeah. you know, inclusive. And yeah. and I think he, you know, the hardest of souls sometimes can be softened by that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that you know, you you may have converted only a handful, but come, I mean, Kamarnock's not an area we need to convert that many. To be fair. But but you never know. There are there are people who are you know right against it, and they'll, and they'll continue to right against it, especially if you attack them. And if you yeah. keep on and if you keep on doing what I do by saying, "Oh, you're wrong." Here's the evidence. They, they they dig their heels in. But something subtle like that, which is not really not really kind of, it's not sharp edged. If you looked at it from the outside, it was just a, a little group of people having fun. It was very colourful. Everybody was laughing, yeah. you know, having having a good time. Yeah. I think it's worthwhile, very worthwhile. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And that 53% in the most recent poll, I mean, that despite everything that's been thrown at us in the last six months and the what the media would love to see is the total collapse of the SNP and the total collapse of the S movement, here we are on 53%. Yeah. It's yeah. remarkable. I mean, it, it seems likely to me that we'll climb further out of the, you know, the mm-hmm. the, dip, the dip we've had with, you know, with the change of leader, and so on. I mean, that that dip was predictable, and yeah. uh, you know, and, and unionists, of course, were jumping about with glee when they saw a couple of opinion polls, but you know, all things pass, and and that'll pass. We had a big dip in in two thousand eighteen, 
who went down below 40% on a regular basis, we climbed out of that. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a kind of, there's a hardcore in this, which is not going away. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm, totally. I, I hope you carry on being part of that um, core of people who kind of keep drip, drip, dripping and, and, and carry on the, the blog. It must take it must take a, a, a fair number of, of uh, minutes out of your, your day. But, uh, yeah, I really hope you, you carry on doing that. And um, We're going to carry on stealing. Going carry on and I'm going to carry on stealing it and putting it into our blog and, and making wee graphs out of it. So, um, yeah. There is no... There is no stealing. Or there is no stealing. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's, inf- it's information handling. <laughs> information handling. All children should have those skills. Thanks so much for coming and uh, chatting away to us like this. Yeah. Really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it throwing this one. Thanks very much. Thanks. So there you go. That was a that was a really interesting discussion with John, wasn't it? And if you'd like to um, see more of what he does, you can sign up on his website. You can get a daily posting, or you can check his follow him on Twitter. He gets thousands of views, but sharing them, let's get him another few thousand and get get the messages out there. That would be great because we've got so much to contend with. Although a little bit of good news this week was the fact that one of the arch um, nemesises of the Scottish, certainly the Scottish government, if not the independence movement, the Telegraph has folded. Oh. Oh. What a shame. What a shame. Maybe maybe um, Boris Johnson will save it. Oh, he's gone as well. <laughs> maybe Trump, oh, wait, he's been indicted. Oh, oh wait a minute. What about what about Na- Nadine? Nadine, oh, she could, oh, no, she's, she's gone. gone. Oh, she's gone. So... Sometimes you just get a good week. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. You can watch the video version of both those discussions on our YouTube channel, IndiePod Extra. You can also get the extended uh, conversation with the two Facebook ladies. And we'll be back again next week with another podcast from Scottish Independence Podcasts. Bye now. Thank you.